Thank you for connecting to this podcast from Faith Renewed Outreach Center. We hope that it's an encouragement to you today. For more information, check us out online at faithrenewed.org. We have some amazing, amazing mothers in this church. I'm thankful for the moms. I'm thankful for spiritual moms that we have here and just, uh, just, just so thankful. God's blessed us with a great, beautiful, beautiful group of ladies in our church and mothers in this place. And I'm just thankful for you and uh, excited that uh, God's connected you to our, this place, this church, and this family. So we love you and God bless you on this special day. Um, we're going to do something today. We're going to jump into God's Word. And so anybody bring a Bible? A few people? All right. Incredibly good. All right. Do this. Turn to Exodus 25. Exodus 25. Exodus 25. We're in a series right now called The Greatest Stories Ever Told. Somebody texted me and said, you ain't going to give one of them Sappy Mother's Day messages today, are you? And I was like, if God gave me a Sappy Mother's Day message to preach, that's what I would give to you guys. I'd always try to just deliver what he puts in my heart. Um, he didn't give me a Mother's Day message today. He just gave me a message from the Word today. And I, but I do believe this. It's, be, it's a beautiful message. And I believe mothers are so beautiful. This is a uh, this is probably a good word, you know, just for this day. But um, I, I love what, what I've seen today in the study and preparation for this message. Um, and just uh, excited to just spend a few, few moments with you. We'll make it quick. I know you got to get to family get-togethers, and so I'm going to try to go through this as quick as we can. But Exodus 25, verse 1 is where we'll begin. It says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. For everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goats, hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for incense, onyx stones, and the stones to be set in the ephod, and in the uh, breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I like that. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Now, I was like, man, what do you need all of that stuff for? What is, man, that's a lot. Why is that so important? We're going to talk about some of that this morning. But before we go any further, let's, let's just do this. We pray one more time and ask the Holy Spirit to just speak to us today through His Word. And God, I just want to thank You. I want to thank You, Lord, for uh, what You've, you've shown me this week in the Scriptures, God. What I'm going to continue to learn, guys, I study Your Word. And I pray, God, You'll just open some hearts today and reveal to us and show us, Lord, the importance of the tabernacle. God, how, how so incredibly important and how beautiful it is. And God, let our hearts be open to that today, God. And once again, I just want to thank you for blessing this church with some amazing mothers, God, and uh, they love you, and uh, they love their children, and want to show them your ways, God. And I just speak blessings over them today on their special day, God. And I just pray, God, that as we honor mothers and as we read your word, that the Father will be lifted up and the Son will be glorified, God, through this time, Lord, today in your word. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Somebody say it with me. Amen. 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 Turn around, smile at a mother one more time and say, Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, the tabernacle. Um, 
We're going to be fi- we're finishing up the book of Exodus today in our study of uh, a series called The Greatest Stories Ever Told as we're looking at the Old Testament stories. And again, today we are lined up with the Gospel Project back in our kids' ministry. So our kids are talking about this as well today. So please have conversations with your children about Scripture and discuss the Bible together, talk to each other there. so important that you do that. And I love how this has been working out in this way. So please take time to do that. But these are the greatest stories ever told because it's a Bible and it's a part of the biggest picture and the greatest story ever told that points everything to Jesus. And so as we study the Word together, I was just going to say, man, this has been rocking me. Uh, I, um, I, I just would not do justice to, to this message because of how big it is and how much is, there is to this subject today. And uh, I found out that I'm like, man, this probably needs to be like at least a six-week series at some point. And so maybe we'll, we will probably revisit this at another time. But to just jump in, uh, I, I just love the picture of the tabernacle and what this represents. And again, this is a story, of, again, that you hear where God brings together the children of Israel, tells them what they need to do. And he gets very specific. I mean, you know, you go through chapters in which he's given specific instruction how to build the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is this. Tabernacle is now, we learned last week that children of Israel brought out of uh, bondage, going through the Red Sea, come out the other side, their enemy's dead. Uh, God gives them the Ten Commandments. We know that's only fulfilled through Christ, and nobody can fulfill a law, and nobody can live up to any of those standards on their own. It has to be what Jesus has done. And so we see this picture unfold. And then he does this. He wants to uh, literally... Be, be, be spending time with his children. That's just that's what a good father does on, on Mother's Day. Mother's Day, they want to spend time with their kids. They want to see you and, and that sort of thing. And this is, this is what God was wanting to do with us. So he did this. He taught them, gave them a model to build a tabernacle, and it was the place where his glory would come and dwell. And so they were seeing glimpses of this when he would come on the mountain and talk to Moses. Moses would come down, have this veil on his face because of the glory was so strong and things that were, that were happening in the presence of God. And they were just seeing that. But now this picture is getting bigger of what God wants to do and how he wants to come spend time with his children. And so this is what's awesome. They find out by the word of the Lord spoken through Moses that God wants to spend time with them. He wants to have this tabernacle. He wants to have this sanctuary, the scripture says, where he can dwell among them. That's cool, man. I love that, that he wants to come and dwell among them. And so he gives them the tabernacle. So they do this. They begin to bring everything together to make this happen. He tells them to bring an offering. Exodus 35, verse 22. I love the willing hearts here of, of their, their, their willingness to give towards the presence of God. And this, this, is, this is cool. Uh, Exodus 35, 22 says, they came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart and brought earrings, nose rings, necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the land. And so we, we see here where they're bringing, they, man, they're bringing a nose ring. You're taking your nose ring out, and, and that's serious, man. They, and, and, and laying it before the altar, uh, Cole. You know, but now, now I, saw that, I, I saw that over here. But now, but just the, the, the thing about it, they're just willing to lay everything down. It, it gets better. Exodus 36, verses 3 through 7. Look at this. This is amazing. It says, and they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. See this? this so, I love this. This is, this is really how uh, offering time should just be done. You know, just get up and say, hey, 
you know, we're, we want to just, you know, prepare a place where God dwells. Uh, you know, you're given to a place to where, you know, the presence of God moves for, for us to set up places to share the gospel throughout the world, all, all that kind of cool stuff. So that's, that's what they're saying. They're saying, bring this stuff. So they just start doing this, taking everything in their pockets, taking nose rings out, laying it down before the altar, and just giving everything over. And then just some, something happens that I'm going, oh, wow. These guys were hungry because it says that they, everyone, uh, the children of Israel, have brought for the work of the service of making a sanctuary so they continue bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from, uh, from the work he was doing, and he spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. Come on, somebody. So Moses gave a commandment. All right, imagine next week we get up and say, all right, y'all going to just stop all this giving. PC, I mean, bro, I mean, I mean, how, how just Moses gets up, gives a commandment, and calls, them, uh, and calls it to be proclaimed through the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. This is a pastor's dream. <laughs> and the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed, too much. I don't know, man. This ain't a message they about giving, but man, I like this. This is awesome. And, and this is honestly, this is how it just should be. I know y'all had to write the main silence right there, and, and you, didn't, you didn't back a brother up as he was bringing some truth right there, but that's a good word. And, but this is how it should be. We, we were singing a few moments ago, and I love just the flow of, of the worship of what, what God does around here, and it was just so cool. I don't even know if they even understand how the Holy Spirit leads them in putting songs together, and then it's just how God works. So we get up and start singing about how he loves us. And how he's jealous for us and how he, he, he loves us so, so much that this grace is an ocean. All this, all this is just beautiful what all that, what that does. Then we go on to start singing about, man, how we love him. Amen. And you have to understand the flow of this because that's how it works. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And so now we have this love and understanding of how much he loves us. We just begin to pour that out. And this is kind of what they see. They begin to understand just how much God had done for them. They understood that they were in bondage for 430 years. They understood that they had been in a place of struggle. And now they come out the other side and God says, give an offering. They give an offering. Love it. Love it. It's just beautiful. I mean, that's... It's not about tabernacle. We're going to talk about that. But the tabernacle got there, and it was more than enough because people gave. And so you see how this works. And now what I love of what God is trying to show here in the tabernacle, and it's beautiful, so beautiful. We see the picture of Jesus. And I've just heard that, and I've read that, and I've kind of like, man, that's awesome. The tabernacle represents you. That's just cool, Yeah. I never really had to hit this thing and dug into some of this stuff and, and gone hard into these things. And I'm just telling you, it would take us a long time to get deep into it. But I want us to look at the tabernacle today, see the picture of Jesus. We must understand the, the story behind this. We must understand what each thing represents. And so today, I'm just going to make a feeble attempt to kind of show you what the tabernacle looks like, how it's laid out. Please don't judge my, my drawing today. Um, and uh, I, I did this, and then I found out that there was artosphere going on down 
downtown Greenville. And I said, if the right person sees this, they're going to be calling me to come down and sign autographs at Artist Fear um, <clears throat> this, 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 this weekend. And, uh, and actually, after my beautiful, beautiful drawings. But this is a bad design that I did here, drawing of, of this. Uh, but we see here in this the tabernacle. Now, who's familiar with just the tabernacle? Just by show of hands, this is not, you know, again, just familiar with somewhat the tabernacle of Moses. Just by show of hands, this is not judgment. Okay, it's okay. All right. Um, who's kind of heard of it but don't really know kind of what each part is really that much represents? Raise your hand. Yeah, ain't nobody judging y'all around here. Y'all a bunch of, who's lying? Okay, no, you ain't got to answer me. You ain't got to raise your hand. Okay, but this is cool. This is, this is amazing what we see. And so first of all, we see, and uh, just as, as the tabernacle itself, and you can't, you can't see that, each part will be on the screen for you, what each one represents. And as we look at this today, first of all, this big picture of the tabernacle, there was uh, curtains that were going all the way around the entire uh, uh, tabernacle. This is this whole entire thing. Just imagine this as a big uh, tent, a big, a big curtain, all the way around the entire uh, tabernacle, what this represents. And so there's some really cool stuff going on in the colors that they sent, uh, the, the blues, the purples, and some things that's significant there. And I'd encourage you to study all that because it's really neat. But this big tabernacle they had, the, all the curtains that were there, there was only in the east side of the entrance of the tabernacle, there was one door. Bill's with me on this because he, he, he loves this, this kind of stuff. But, and, and we see one way. And, I, and I, again, what God's trying to show us is really cool. We see in the tabernacle, we see into the presence of God a picture of that there is only one way into his presence. And, it's, and, 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 and if you look at Scripture and study it, and if you note-taker, just jot these things down quick, because we're not even going to be on the screen, but you see things in like John 10, Jesus said, I am that door. You, you see where he says this. He lets them know just as there's only one way into the presence of God, we know that Jesus said this in John 14. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man gets to the Father unless they literally go through him. And ain't it amazing that, that, uh, oh man, thousands of years earlier, we see a picture of this. And I I want you to understand that this, God didn't like see what happened in the garden and then look at the the failure of man and then say, oh no, what am I going to do? How am I ever going to get those guys back into a relationship with me? He knew because in this door that was there that is so beautifully done that Jesus represents that he is the only way in. Once you enter in, and I want us to go into this place, you enter in into the first place, you enter in into the tabernacle, and some of us today are saying, man, I don't have a right to go in. Because if you understand, even in this today, there were only the high priests that were allowed to come into these places. There were only certain ones that were allowed to come in. But we find out and today when you study Scripture, we studied this on Wednesday nights through First Peter and Second Peter, that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then now we have a right to come in, so it's important that we all go in. And this is the thing. You have the decision whether you go in or not. Jesus made a way. He, he, didn't, uh, he didn't just surround the entire His presence and make no way in. He made a very important way, and He made it through His Son, Jesus, who came. And so you enter into the presence now, you step into the tabernacle, and you come to the first place. You come to the altar of burnt offering. 
The altar of burnt offering, again, is, is important because it's on the altar of sacrifice on this burnt offering that there was the death of a victim that signified that death being offered up was for the one making that offering that they were guilty. And so there were some things happening here, and this was something that would go on continually. That smell of sacrifice was continually going through. The kids running through town and the kids being apart, they knew about the sacrifice. Everyone knew what was going on. And they would take the offerings, and they would lay the offerings on this, this, that sacrifice and lay it on the burnt offering. And they did, most times they would use a lamb in a lot of instances. And this lamb was so representation of what Jesus did for us because they see that. And they would see the lamb, they would see what happens, and now we understand that the Bible says some stuff like, man, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. So, so it wasn't God saying, oh no, what am I going to do? How am I going to get back into a relationship with them? He already made a way. And there's only one. It was Jesus. And so this is what happens. They would make this offering of sacrifice. They would lay that lamb who was, who was representation and come in and take in the place for their sin. That lamb would be laying on the altar. It would be slain. It would be burned. A sacrifice would be made. And this is what's amazing. John the Baptist, who was, man, who, man so this is a crazy dude who just loved Jesus and, man, was passionate about the gospel. He was, in the, he was out baptizing. And then he does this. He sees Jesus walking. Everything kind of went just, I think, for a moment, just like it went in this room silent. John Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because they had been trying to lay this altar. It was a continual sacrifice and it was a continual uh, giving that was taking place. It would never satisfy the sin issue. And so Jesus comes along and then he does this. He pays our debt. A lot of times people will say, man, my debt was just forgiven. Your debt wasn't just forgiven. Your debt was paid for. And it was paid for by the death of the Lamb. It was paid for when the Lamb of God was laying upon the sacrificial altar and he gave his life. And so he paid the price. And now this is what's awesome. The one who was once guilty walks around, therefore there, who is in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation in him. Because of the innocent price, the innocent became the guilty. And so this beautiful picture here, this, this just happens as soon as you walk in. What? This tabernacle is awesome. Jesus paid the debt. He became the sacrificial offering for us. What happens? You walk now past this and you come to the bronze laver. The bronze laver is, is um, pretty cool. Worship team was giving me a hard time back in the office before I came out and it's like, what kind of circle you got there, bro? You know, who drew that one? Now, I said, I did that freehand. Just in case y'all was wondering, I did that freehand. The bronze laver it's like a, if you understand this, it's, it's a, kind of like a cool looking bird bath. 
And, and it goes up, and then the water's there, and then what they would do at the bronze laver, they would come, and, they, and the priests would have to wash their hands, and they'd have to wash their feet. Now, this is, this is incredible because... Uh, <laughs> You have to understand what now the sacrifice allows you to do. The sacrifice of the lamb allows you to come in. And then once you step on in and keep on going, what it does is this for you. It doesn't just allow you access in. What now happens when you step down and when you wash yourself? Ephesians 5 says to do this, husbands. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish you know what this does for us? This now doesn't just allow us to come in and step in to now hopefully get into God's presence. This now when we step in and step up to this place of cleansing, the word of God says now if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that means all things that you've done, every sin that you've ever made, everything that was the thing that was keeping you out of his presence now allows you because of the cleansing work of God allows you to come in and it cleanses us. It's gone. What? Oh, man. It cleanses us. And then you just see Jesus coming and just literally being for us the one who cleanses. I don't know about you, man. He hadn't cleansed me. No, if today, if you, if you haven't trusted in and accepted in that burnt offering that was made and, and allowed him to cleanse you, there is no other way. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Again, time makes me keep moving on, but the next thing that you see as you now enter into, this is what allows you to come into the holy place. Now, Y'all thought the test the Ten Commandments was hard. That was rough. I mean, man, imagine all this now. You, to, to only be able to get now into this place if a sacrifice had been given and, and if a cleansing had taken place, it's the only thing now that allows you to come in. And they step into this. Imagine this at this time, what was happening, that these priests would come in and just the, I, I almost the, the reverence and the awe and almost fear of things that were going on in their mind. And it says, man, I'm getting closer into the presence of God because he resides here. And as they come in now, you see the gold lampstand. The gold lampstand. And again, so much significance here. And if you know that, uh, if you've ever studied this out, there are seven uh, candles on the lampstand. And again, that beautiful number seven completion, so much going home. But this central branch here has uh, branches that come off of it, totaling a number seven. You see this, and you see that this was the only thing that brought light into the holy place. And you hear Jesus get up 
and, and make claims and say stuff that was messing up every bit of religious thought process that the people had because they said, no, there had to be a light and a lamp that was lit and taken care of and continually maintained and the oil had to be continually put in place. All that has to be, that's how you get into God's presence. That's how you get, that's the light. No, Jesus steps up in the middle of everything and says, I am the light of the world. He's, he says, whoever follows me, you won't walk in darkness. You, you will not walk in darkness. He says up in John 12, he says, I have come into the world as a light that, that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Ain't he awesome? And, and I, I love how even just we're like, man, all this stuff prophesied and spoken and they were trying to do it and Jesus comes in and makes a claim that he fulfills that and he is the light. And then we can even go all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, read stuff like this, that the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. This is heaven. And, and it says no need to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it and the Lamb is the light. Do you understand that in heaven, the presence of Jesus, the, the lamb that was let, slain before the foundation of the earth, represented upon the altar, who cleanses us from all sin, now brings us into the holy place, that that Jesus is going to be the one who's illuminating heaven? That's what he's going to do for us. It's just so incredible. And then we, we just see just symbolism over and over and over. We see so much there. We've got to keep moving. But the next thing we see is this. We see the table of showbread. It looks kind of like a boombox speaker kind of going on. <laughs> just realize that. I'm a horrible drawer. <clears throat> the table of showbread. It was also referred to as the bread of his presence. And, and, and it, so much significance, so much going on, but one of the things that this represents is that God wanted to have communion with us. That he wanted to have fellowship when you invite someone over to eat, you sit down and you commune together and you fellowship with one another. There's so much representation here. There's so much going on. And it was in just the entire reason behind all of this going on is that God wanted to spend time with us. And we show now the representation of the, of the bread here. And, and we, we then... Again, John Jesus can start saying this stuff. He gets up and he starts making claims and he starts saying stuff in Scripture that I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. It's, it just amazes me that he would say these types of things. And, and it was representation of, again, of, of, of ceremonial things that they would do at Passover and how they would take the bread. And then Jesus steps up and takes it and breaks the bread at the table one day. And we do this in representation. We receive communion together. And Jesus says that this is my body. This bread is it was, it was my body. It's, it's what was taken and broken and bruised for you. It was what was given for you 
And he wants us to do this. He wants us to partake of him. And, and he, he wants us to, to have this, this ongoing relationship with him. Jesus is the bread. You walk past the burnt offering. You cleanse the bronze labor. You step up to the gold stand and you see the table of showbread. And then in this holy place, you come to the very last thing that we see before you enter into the most holy place, the holy of holies. And you see the altar of incense. <laughs> In- incense is it's a symbol of prayer and it's a symbol of intercession. And, and it's, it's the very last thing, and, and this is amazing to me, and I don't, I don't know why. Well, I know why the enemy stops us so many times, but it is the prayer of God's people that will manifest his presence in our life, and it puts us into a place of relationship and fellowship with him. And you know what we do so many times? We say, well, you know, I can do, I guess, you know, something's going on in our life and going through a difficult time, and we can say, well, at least we can do is pray understand that prayer is the thing that brings you into the closest place of relationship Amen. to God. That it is the very thing. And, and, and Isaiah 56 says that my house should be called a house of prayer. David in Psalms prayed this and he said that may my prayers be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like an evening sacrifice. You think that what we're doing before I get up here and start preaching and talking God's word is just killing time? It's the lifting of the hands as a sacrifice unto the, unto the Lord who's worthy. It's the prayer that's happening that brings us into the presence. It is that exchange that happens. And is it not amaze you like it amazes me that I can sit down and talk to the one who made me? You can sit down today and you can hang out in, in relationship through prayer. Talk to the one who set the heavens. And it is this altar of incense that allows us to come in and allows us to come in this place. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And today, do you understand right now, it's not just that we have an opportunity to pray that that Jesus right now is there making intercession for you. So he was like, man, my prayers is hitting the ceiling. Jesus is not. There's no cap to him. There's no end to what he can do. Listen, and today he's making intercession for you. And we see this represented here. It is a beautiful, it's an altar of prayer. And what's happened so many times, churches are getting away from it. We're saying, well, it makes people uncomfortable. And so we shouldn't do altar calls. And we shouldn't come to the altar and pray. And we shouldn't do this stuff. And it is a picture of what Jesus is doing for us. And it's in those places. And we'll never stop it here. If it makes you uncomfortable, you're going to be uncomfortable until Jesus comes. Because <laughs> we'll always open up the altar in this house. Because it's through the altar of prayer that brings us into his presence and allows us. And it's beautifully, so incredibly set up here that today now we see the last thing before you walk into the most holy place. A veil that separated 
the holy place and to the most holy place. That veil that was there, it was again thickly made and designed specifically. Everything in Scripture was designed specifically. Again, it's a cool study. Do it. Go deep sometime in this. And that veil there separated the two. And it was only that those priests that were allowed to come in after all of these things. That if you understand what happened on the cross when Jesus gave everything for us. The scripture says that when he hung on the cross and when he cried out, it is finished. That the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And then now, listen, every one of us. Every person, you don't have to have someone else go in for you. And we make that mistake every week. We let someone else go in for us. God saying, man, I've torn the veil so you can enter in. And every one of us can come. It's not the pastors. It's not just the worship team. Listen, every person, you're the minister. You're the royal priesthood. You're the holy nation that God's called today. And he's made the way through his son to come into the most beautiful, holy place of God. And in that place, you would find the very last piece of furniture in the tabernacle. (laughs) It's in the holy place that you see the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, man. And, and it was the Ark of the Covenant. The, it, is, it, is, it is crazy how, again, there's so much there. But if you even look in Exodus 25, when he starts laying it out and giving you the plan, the Ark is the first thing that's built. But it's the last thing you get to. He's the first. He, he just so much. But yet, yet this was made here. And then now you would see brazen, you would see bronze, you would see brass, you would see all these other things. But then you step into this holy place. Only thing that you're seeing at this point now is gold. And the gold was not just, again, that you would see just pure gold. That's why you should just, again, say this. It's really cool. But the Ark of the Covenant was made out of acacia wood that he's talked about in our text. Acacia wood had a gum inside of it and had a resin that would flow out of it. And they would use that resin and they would use that for medicinal purposes, for healing. And it was what would flow out of the wood. And the wood was representation of the humanity of God. And, 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 and I wish I had this cool illustration to show you, but man, if you imagine for a moment that piece of wood that was made of the Ark of Covenant of acacia wood, it was layered on top and it was layered on bottom with gold. And it was representation of the humanity in the middle and you had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And... (laughs) And, and, and it was amazing because you would, if you were here, you heard those other ark stories. Scripture says that there was an ark that Noah built. That, 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 that wood that was made, it had a pitch around it. It had a seal around it to keep things out. And, and, and if, you, if you remember that story, if you go on, there was another story where it was this guy named Moses whose mama built an ark. And mama built an ark, and she did it to the specifications of what the Holy Spirit spoke to her. And she put pitch around it. She sealed it. And then now we see here now this ark that was wrapped in gold. (laughs) 
that was in um, that was representation of now the presence of God. And and it was on the Ark of the Covenant that the mercy seat sat. The mercy seat, again, we just, oh, man. Mercy seat, worship team, come on up, it's late. Um, worship team, come on, come on, come on. The mercy seat was there, and it represented the place where God sat and dwelled. And on the Day of Atonement, representing the atoning of the sin. The priest would come in and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. In Hebrews 9, 11, 12, says this, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. As I look at this, I'm going to go, man, I stand in awe that they did all of these things. They gave everything, and they were just like, men more than enough, and specifically went down and every detail laid out, and they're seeing even to those details, those were still made by hands. This high priest who came... That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered into the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Because each of these steps and each of these things were just the things that, again, because God wanted so much to be with his people. Still is desire today. And the only way that happens for us is for us today to be in Christ. For us to be in him. It just gets crazier and crazier, and you, you start, can really, we can spend time on this, maybe this is a good Wednesday night thing sometime, but you start finding out today that he actually calls us now temple. Find out today that we're the priest, royal priesthood, that, that the altar of sacrifice is our lifestyle of living sacrifice in the hymn, that now you know what he said for us to do, he says that I'm not, I'm that light, he said now this is the deal, you're the light of the world. Don't be a, that, that thing that's hidden. Be that thing that stands out. He, he, he says this now about the bread. He said, if anybody's hungry, feed them. The altar of incense to where we come and we pray and we commune with God what that produces in our life, what that brings. It takes us to the very holy of holies. And Colossians 1.27 says this, to them... God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 